Okay, good evening, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us this evening. Um, I want to begin by thanking uh, Dr. Daniel Lowe and the Adult Education Committee uh, of the Young Israel of Teaneck for all that they do to uh, coordinate our learning throughout the year. This is actually the first uh, event of the season. Um, you can check out outside if you want to see our brochure with all kinds of things going on for the entire year. Um, really, really exciting, and it's very exciting to be uh, kicking it off this year with, with Rabbi Karon. Um, I want to thank our sponsors for this evening, Jakob and Dina Paltman, Simcha and Sarah Yenowitz, and Eli and Helen Goldberg. We very much appreciate uh, the sponsorships which allow these programs to take place here in the shul. Um, Rabbi, Rabbi Pesach Karon is a uh, Torah personality who does not uh, require an introduction. Uh, but I want to share with you a personal experience that happened to me with Rabbi Karon, which maybe speaks to a certain uh, element of Rabbi Karon that maybe not all of us get to experience personally. I, my entire life, uh, any place I ever go, anywhere in the Jewish world, I'm asked, are you related? <laughs> they don't even say to whom, they just say, are you related? And now I answer, I say, hi, Benny Krohn, not related to the Meidel. That's, that's how I introduce myself. So my whole life, but my whole life, I didn't know if I was related or not. I didn't know. We had the same last name. So uh, when I finally, finally, uh, about 10 years ago, I was assistant rabbi in Renat Yisrael, and Rabbi Krohn came to, to perform a bris. And uh, so it was like my chance. I'd never met him before. And uh, we were walking out of the bris, and I said, I have to introduce myself. My name is Benny Krohn. My whole life, everyone asked me, are we related? So Rabbi Krohn answered me, what's your phone number? So I said, okay. I gave him my phone number. He said, call me later tonight. So I did. I called later that night. We talked about it. Turns out we're from different towns. My family's name is really Kribyansky. It was changed when we got to America. So we're not, we're not officially related. Rabbi Krohn then said to me, what's your address? I gave him my address. And three days later, Two svarim appeared in my mailbox. The bris sefer and the most current maggot sefer with personal inscriptions from Rabbi Kron. Why? For no reason. Just because. And that, that uh, experience you know, really spoke to me in terms of what Rabbi Kron is doing in the world. Yes, certainly Rabbi Kron is known as a rav, as a moil, as an author, as a lecturer, throughout the, the country and throughout the world. And I, but I also just know Rabbi Krohn to be just one of the kindest, most sensitive uh, people that I've ever met. And I really, uh, uh, it's such a, an honor for us to be able to host Rabbi Krohn in our shul. And it's with great honor that I uh, introduce Rabbi Pesach Krohn. I cannot begin to describe how thrilled I am to be here tonight. First of all, the first time that I met the Rav and I realized what kind of warm, wonderful person he is, I was so happy his name was Grown. <laughs> <laughs> See, when I was growing up, I had an uncle, a cousin, his name was Benny Crone, and I loved him because I was already a Yassim and he would take me to ball games every single year. So for me, Benny Krohn was so special. And then when I come here tonight, 
I could not believe that I met my aunt. Now, to me, she will always be Tante Yiti, but of course the world knows her as Vivian. Now, I know you're not going to believe one word that I'm about to tell you, but when she got married about 180 years ago, <laughs> I was the ring boy. You've got to see this picture if you're interested, but I was wearing a tuxedo. I was four years old. And my sister marched down first and throwing flowers. And I was carrying the ring with a tuxedo. And it was just so special. And she was always the most beautiful aunt that I ever had. She probably still is. And uh, to be with Shiri and her husband, Mr. Khan, and just to see them tonight, I was not expecting that. It's just so wonderful. And then I see Rabbi Landman. Rabbi Landsman, such a chash of a machanach in Queens. Everybody loves him. He's got such a successful school. I've had this schus numerous times. And every time I go there, it is so thrilling to be at the Ovi Sabonin Parents and Children program Sunday morning. There could be any football game going on, but all the parents are there learning with their kids because Rabbi Landsman inspires them. It is just incredible. And then I saw Mr. Levy. Where are you, Mr. Levy? You're here with your wife someplace, right? Where are they? In the back. There they are. Their son-in-law is a hero in this book. I just wrote this book called Yom and the Run with the Maggid. I had no idea that the Levy's are going to be here, but it's called The Signature Event, and you will be so moved at this beautiful story that Rabbi Moskowitz told me in Boca. And it turned out I had no idea that it was Mr. Levy's son-in-law, and I knew Mrs. Levy before Mr. Levy did, right? You're a stemple, if I remember, right? And so we grew up in Kew Gardens together. Oh, you're also a stemple. Wow. And then I met June Crone's daughter. What's going on here? Like, this is so Hamish here tonight. And uh, I understand I'm the first live person, right, to come here. And uh, this gentleman told me that, and I'm thrilled. And we're going to have a great time. We're going to have a great time because we're going to talk about the most important 40 days of the year. And that's from Elul until Yom Kippur. And so I want to start out by telling you a great story that has an adorable punchline, but as you will see, it has a very, very serious message to all of us. Now, all of us who have been to Bnei Brak, we know the big yeshiva on top of the hill, the Panavish yeshiva, and the mashgiach in that yeshiva was a great tzaddik. His name was Rab Levenstein. He was a great tzaddik, and when you stood in his Dalit Amis, when you stood in his surroundings, you felt you were standing in the presence of a godly person. You felt the Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Somit. It was a great tzaddik. And I see the Rav here is nodding his head. So you know, if you ever saw Rav Chatzkel, you saw that he was a holy yid. Nebuchadnezzar, he passed away a number of years ago, but one time he had to travel someplace in Bnei Brak, and he went with a Talmud, with a student of his, into a cab. The Israeli cab driver was not religious. He was wearing an earring. He was wearing a necklace. And when he took one look at the rabbi, he saw, oh, this is a holy Jew. So with great derecheres, he said to him, Kvod Rab, can I tell you a story that happened? And the Rebbe said, yeah, of course. Why not? And he told him this story. He said, we just, me and my friends, we just finished last year we finished our tour of duty in the IDF, in the Israeli Defense Force. 
an Israeli army, and it was very, very pressure laden. And we decided we want to go on a vacation and a place to chill out that we had never been to before. And one of the Hebra did research and he found out that in South Africa they have what's called safaris, there are no safaris in Israel, and we decided to go. So we went and for four days everything was fabulous. We went where the animals lived in their natural habitat and we had never seen anything like it. We were in a truck and we had a tour guide, it was great. He said the fifth morning, one of the Hebra said, I'm gonna go out and I'm gonna explore on my own. And we said, are you crazy? You're gonna go out on your own? You know where the animals are? He said, well, you see, four days we've been here and everything was fine. He said, of course, because we had a truck and a tour guide. You're gonna go on your own, you know, that could be dangerous. He said, don't worry, I'll be fine. So he went out there and within two minutes, we heard him yelling and screaming. We didn't know what in the world happened. We ran out and we saw the most frightening thing we had ever seen in our lives. There was a huge snake. Now I looked it up, it's called an African rock python. Now if you look it up on Google, you'll see that these African rock pythons can be 20 feet long. And what they do is they surround themselves around their prey and they can crush an alligator to death. Now this African rock python was wrapped around the stomach of this soldier and was crushing him to death. And he was yelling and screaming. We didn't know what in the world to do. We took rocks, started throwing it, it didn't help. We took branches off a tree and smacked it, nothing helped. And he says, Rabbi, none of us were religious, but every one of us knew Shema Yisrael. So we said to him, say Shema Yisrael, you're gonna die, say Shema Yisrael. And the guy cried out, Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Alakeinu, Hashem, Echad. And Rabbi, like a miracle, the second he said Echad, the snake loosened its hold, fell to the ground, and slithered away. So Rabbi Levinstein said, so what happened to that guy? He said, what happened? The next morning he put on tefillin. And when he came to Israel, he became religious, him and his wife and his children. So the rabbi said, and what about you? So he said, Rebbe, the snake wasn't wrapped around me. <laughs> of course, that's the dumbest answer he could have given. What do you mean the snake wasn't wrapped around you? You see a miracle with your own eyes right in front of you, but that's the power of the Eight Sahara. The Eight Sahara, if he finds any rationalization, whatever, that you shouldn't do a mitzvah or be inspired, he'll figure it out. But the reason that I tell you this story is because every single one of us here tonight, every one of us was wrapped around by COVID-19. Every single one of us. Now I pray that none of you in your family suffered any death of close members. And I pray that none of you had suffered or had people in your family that suffered from terrible, terrible illness with respirators and ventilators. But every one of us was challenged this past year, certainly emotionally, financially, and certainly socially. And so the question is, how do we go on to the next year? We've gone through so much Taurus this past year when you think about it. Not only COVID all over the world, but what happened like Boimer Miron with those 45 Tzaddikim Nebuch, it's even impossible to describe 
how they died, how horrible it was. And if that wasn't enough, it happened in Stalin right before Rosh Hashanah. And then Surfside happened. And so many people, Rahman al lost their lives. And those three boys on a plane in Ukraine. And the boy who was shot outside of yeshiva in Denver just a couple weeks ago. So how do we go on? How do we make sense out of this past year? And how do we go on to the next year with confidence and hope for the future? So I think that one of the greatest comments that I heard this past year about all these tragedies, and especially Maron, was from a great Hasidic speaker in Eretz Yisrael. And he said something remarkable. We all know the Mishnah in Pikayavos. The Mishnah in Pikayavos in Perik Beis, Mishnah Aleph, tells us, Da You have to know what's on top of you. We know eye in Roya, an eye that sees, an ear that hears, and everything is written down. But to Melech Biedemann, listen how he understood these words. Da, remember. Da, remember. Ma, those 45. Mem he is equal 45. It's beyond you. You will never understand God's ways, why that had to happen. Da, just remember. Ma, those 45. Is beyond us. And then, the Pasuk tells us, and we read this every fast day in Disho Hashem Behimatsoi. The Pasuk in Yeshaya tells us, As high as the heaven is from earth, God tells us, My ways are so beyond your ways. And my thoughts from you, you're never going to understand it. So that's the first thing that we have to look back at this year. No one, no one, no rabbi, no rebbe, no one can tell us why Hashem made COVID happen. The only thing that we can do is respond. Anybody who tells you why COVID happened has no idea what he's talking about. Unless we had a Novi like Yirmiya or Yeshaya or Yecheskel to define it, we couldn't know it. Da malamayla That's the first thing that we have to understand. We will never understand it until Mashiach comes. However, every one of us has to respond. That's what we are in this world for. And you know something? When we come in these holy days and we have to respond, it can be frightening in a way. And you know, there's a Pusik in Amois and the great rabbis understand the Pusik in a very unusual, special way. The Pusik tells us, if a lion roars, Milo Yiro, wouldn't you be afraid? Right? You saw a lion on Route 4, right? Or you saw a lion on any street in Teaneck or wherever, in Bergenfield, we would all be afraid. And you know what the Mephoshim say? You know what Aryeh stands for? Aleph, Reish, Yod, Hey, Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Yem HaKippurim, and Hashanah Rabbah. Elul, Rosh Hashanah, Yem HaKippurim, Hashanah Rabbah. These days roar to us. Wouldn't we be afraid? So not only did we come off a difficult year, but now we've got these days roaring at us. So a couple years ago, my rabbi on Kol Nidri at night mentioned this thing of Aryeh Shog, which I had heard before, but then he said something amazing. He said, I don't know what the Pasuk is talking about. I took my kids to the Bronx Zoo on Cholomai Pesach. We saw a lion roaring. Nobody was afraid. So what did the Pasuk mean? Aryeh Shog, Mila Yira. We saw a lion roaring and it wasn't, nobody was frightened. The kids were laughing. And the answer, of course, the lion was in a cage. And if the lion's in a cage, you got nothing to worry about. 
And you know something? If you put God in a cage, you also got nothing to worry about. But that's not what we're supposed to do. We can't put God in a cage. Now, I'm going to show you something that he brought out. This is amazing. You won't believe it. You have to look it up in your Magzer on Hashanah Rabbah to see the final prayer of Hashanah Rabbah. You know what the final prayer of Hashanah Rabbah is? You won't believe it. Yehi Ratzayim, may it be your will, Hashem. Shetosir mechitzas habarzel. Remove the iron barriers. Hamafsekes beinenu beinecha. Remove that cage that's between me and you. That's what we're asking Hashem. We don't want you in a cage. Because if we put God in a cage, then we have no connection to God. So we're asking Hashem, remove those iron barriers. And then... We feel these days of Elo, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Hashanah Rabbah. But you know something? I believe that we can answer these lions that are roaring. And you know why I'm so positive? Because the Torah tells us what the Jewish nation is all about. You know what Bolok said about the Jewish nation? You could look it up in Bamidbo Chav Gimel, Pasuk Chav Dalet. Hein Om, this is a nation, Kalavi Yokum. It gets up. Like a lion. Uchari Yisnason elevates itself like a young cub. It's true. It's true. But you know something? We can respond. And tonight we're going to learn how to respond. Every one of us will walk out of here. A different person knowing how we can respond to these days. And if we know how to respond, then we can have confidence. In Tufshin Pei Beis. Now, even though we've gone through a difficult year, but this is the year that we can respond, and I'm going to show you how to respond. Every single one of us. But I want to introduce the first way with a fabulous Pirkei de Ovis Rabnosen. The Ovis Rabnosen are like Mishnayas, like Ovis. And in there, in Peri Dalad Mishnahe, it tells us a story that Rabbi Yechna was once walking with his student, Rabbi Yeshua, and they walked in the area where the Beis HaMikdash once stood. And now the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed. And as they walked by that area, the Talmud, Rabbi Yeshua, started crying. And the Rebbe said to him, why are you crying? He said, I shouldn't cry. How are we going to get kapara? How are we going to get forgiveness? We can't bring sacrifices. We can't go to the Beis HaMikdash. It's not here. And the Rebbe said, Bini, my child, al Allah, don't be worried. There is a way that we can get kapara forgiveness. And it's just as good. And what is that? Doing favors. And then he brought a posse that's easy to remember where it is. It's in Hosea Vov Vov. Hosea 6, chapter 6, verse 6. And you know what it says? What I want to see, Hashem says, I want to see that you care about each other. I want to see that you do chesed. You don't have to bring me kabonis to get kapora. You don't have to have a base on Migdash to get kapora. You do chesed. Chesed chafatzdi. And then you're going to get kapora. So I want to tell you now the greatest story that you will ever hear about COVID-19. And I made it the first story in the book because I think this shows how great we could all become. Listen to this. Last year, when COVID was at its height, right after Purim, before Pesach, there was a woman who told me the story herself. She lives in Lakewood. Her name is Mrs. Devorah Monk. She had moved to Lakewood years earlier 
because her children and grandchildren now lived in Lakewood and she moved with the husband. Unfortunately, he became ill and he passed away. Now, when she was now alone after Purim, she realized she was going to have to have the Seder alone. And that was very daunting. She told me she had never, since she was a child, ever been Shabbos or Yontif alone. Either she was with her parents or her husband or her children or grandchildren. And now she was going to have to have the Seder, the long Seder, alone. And it was frightening. So she told me that her neighbors called her. Now, I spoke to the neighbors and they asked that I shouldn't say their names. So, of course, I respect that. Let's call them the Beckers. So Mrs. Becker says to Mrs. Monk, look, your dining room window opens up to a little garden. And right on the other side of that little garden is our living room window. We are willing to move our dining room table into the living room. We'll have the Seder in the living room. We'll keep the living room window open. You'll be able to hear us. We'll be able to hear you. We can have the Seder together in two different houses. You won't be alone. And Mrs. Monk said to me, she said to Mrs. Beck, you would do that? You're going to move your dining room table into the living room just for me? And she said, of course, you're like a bubby to our children. Our kids love you. Of course we would do it. It's no problem. The next morning, Mr. Becker calls her and he says to Mrs. Monk, you know, my wife told you that great idea that we have, but we don't want to try it out the first night of the Seder because what if it doesn't work? How are we going to figure it out for the second night? How are we going to fix it up? Let's have a trial run. Let's do a Shabbos HaGadol. Could you imagine? So Shabbos HaGadol is a few days before Pesach. So sure enough, the Beckers moved their dining room table into the living room. They opened up the window. He made Kiddush. The kids were singing Zmira. She was in her dining room. She opened up her window. She was able to hear them. And now she knew it was going to be great. So she tells me as if that's not enough. Erev Pesach, she gets a knock on the door. The Becker children are there with the Seder plate. And on the Seder plate was the karpas, the haroises, the morar, the salt water. It was all there. So not only did they have a trial run, but they even gave her a Seder plate. And the Seder was fabulous. Till 1 o'clock in the morning. And it was just great. 1.15 a.m. She's cleaning up and she gets a knock on the door. She told me she's thinking, who's coming? Elian Lovey came a half hour ago. Who's coming now? Right? He came already. She opens up the door. It's her children. They walk 20 minutes from where they live. They stop there, say, to find out how Oma's doing. You know, that's how you call a grandmother in, in German. And Yehuda, who I happened to see at a bris this morning in Brooklyn, but, you know, he said to his mother, Ma, how was the Seder? She said, how was the Seder? It was fabulous. It was unbelievable. He says, Ma, like, you know, what do you mean it was unbelievable? She says, look, I've been living here five years. I had no idea that the Breckers were also Yekesha people, German people. They sang every song that Daddy sang. I felt like Daddy was here. Every song they sang. And Yehuda starts laughing. So his mother said, Yehuda, why are you laughing? Now listen to this. He says, Ma, I didn't want to tell you, but a couple days ago the Breckers called me up and they asked me to make a voice recording of all the songs that Daddy sang at the Seder all the years so that they could learn them and they sang them for you so that you would feel comfortable at your Seder. Can't you cry from such a story? Could you imagine a family is sitting and learning all the nagunim, all the songs of a family that they don't even know really 
But to make that almana feel special. And not only that, Mrs. Mong told me, I had no idea that the German people, they are misleading. Maybe you could tell me if that's what you do in your family. At the end of the Seder, they sing three songs. Adonilam, Yigdal, and Enkelakeno. And that's exactly what the Brekkers sang. That's greatness. That's Chesed Chofatz Divaloy Zovach. Is that the greatest idea in the world? Not really. But it's the most sensitive idea in the world. And if that family can do it, we could do it. That's what I you respond. Chesed Chofatz Divaloy Zovach. We have to begin in these Aseris Yimei Tshuva thinking about other people, not only about ourselves. And if we become those type of people that we're thinking about those who have less than us, those who have less finances, those who have less nachas, those who have less talent, those who have what we don't, those who don't have what we have and take for granted, that's how you become great. That's how you respond and that's how we're going to have a fabulous year. Now, I want to talk to you about a very personal story. This is very painful to talk about. Of course, I had no idea that my dear aunt and cousins are going to be here tonight. But they lived through this with me many, many years ago. When I was 21 years old, my father passed away. I'm the oldest of seven children. And my father, Avram, was the brother-in-law of my dear Tante Yitti here. And he had cancer. I was frightened out of my mind because I knew, I knew that if he dies, I'm gonna have to leave the yeshiva and I'm gonna have to support my mother and my six younger brothers and sisters. And Rabbi Shimon Schwab, who was the rabbi in Washington Heights, he had been a rebbe in Ney Yisrael many years ago in Baltimore before he came to Washington Heights. And my father was one of his students. So when my father realized that he was going to be in a hospital over Shabbos in Washington Heights, he called Rav Schwab and he said, can my two sons be at your home for Shabbos? And like this, after Musaf, they'll be able to come and visit me. And Rav Schwab said, of course. So Friday night, we stayed by Rav Schwab and we ate the suda with him and his wife. And the next morning, we davened in the Kehillah with a beautiful choir. And then we walked to the hospital. Then when I came home from the hospital, and I come to the dining room table and Rav Shimon Schwab is sitting there with his wife waiting for us. Rav Schwab says to me, so how's your father? Now in all innocence, again, I was 21. I said, I have betochen. That means that I have faith that my father's gonna be okay. And he got so stern with me. And he said, betochen, faith in God does not mean that your father's gonna get well. I was shocked. I was so shocked here. I'm hoping beyond hope my father's going to be well. And here this great tzaddik is telling me, betochen does not mean your father's going to get well. He said, betochen means that God has a master plan. And maybe, hopefully, one day you'll be able to figure it out. And he prepared me. Because he taught me that terrible things happen. Somebody who loses a spouse. Somebody who loses a child. You can't go be Menachem and tell that person it's all for the good. That's riches. To say that to a person. That's cruelty. One day we'll be able to understand why it had to happen. But bad things happen. But talking doesn't mean that everything is good. At the end of time we'll understand. And he taught me a lesson. And the truth is a few weeks later, as you know, my father passed away. 
and I became like the father of the family. I walked down all my brothers and sisters to their wedding together with my mother. I became a male. I was a 21-year-old kid. And I'm telling you, sometimes I would walk into a house and a grandmother would take a look at me and say, Woo, you look so young. So I said, well, the baby's also young. Right? I tried to make a joke out of it. But I'm telling you, it was not easy. I was, it certainly was not easy. So I want to tell you something. What Rav Schwab wrote. And I think that this is going to teach us now how to say Shema from now on. Rav Schwab has a wonderful sefer. It's called Rav Schwab on Prayer. And in there, when he's writing about Kriya Shema, he quotes a Zoyar HaKadosh in Rus. And the Zoyar HaKadosh says like this, Asvosa Labarnash. What is the remedy for mankind, Baha'i Alma, in this world? Mandekora Kriya Shema Kitikunai. The one who reads Kriya Shema the way it's supposed to be read. And then he goes on to explain as only he could explain this. Did it ever occur to anybody? It certainly didn't occur to me. That Shema Yisrael is six words. Shema Yisrael, Hashem, Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. Baruch Shem is six words. Baruch Shem, Kavod, Malchusay, V'yaylam, Vo'ed. Do you know that in Israel, when the Yidden were living in Eretz Yisrael, there were six Orei Miklot. Orei Miklot is a city of sanctuary, a city of protection. If Chas Vashom, somebody killed somebody by mistake, they could run to that city and they would be saved. Rav Schwab says those six cities, those are the six words of Shema and Baruch Shein. Three in Eretz Yisrael, three in Eva Hayardin. And then he says, there are 42 words from V'yahavta till V'sharecha. There were 42 cities of Levian. They also were Are Miklot. So Shema is your city of sanctuary. So how do you say Shema? I'll show you. You start, you cover your eyes, you close your eyes and you say the first two words, Shema Yisrael. Then you say Hashem. Now, we know that Hashem has many, many different names and every name has a different meaning. The Yudke Vovke means the God of Rachman, the God of compassion. So when you say Shema, just stop for a moment and say the word Hashem and think of all the good that you have in this world. Every one of us here has so much good in this world that we don't concentrate on. Those who have spouses, those who have houses, those who have children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren that give them nachas, those who have jobs, those who have paid off their mortgages, those who have shalom bias. There's so much good that so many of us have and we never think about it. And this is the time to think about it. Shema Yisrael Hashem. Hashem, you have given me so much in this world. You pause and then you say the next word, Elokeinu. Elokeinu is the midah of judgment. Of course, there's a lot of judgment. There's COVID, there's Marone, there's poverty, there's Surfside. There's so many difficult things that happen in the world. But you know, then we say Hashem Echad. Hang in there, the Gemara Psachim is telling us. Hang in there, because at the end of time, you're gonna figure out and Mashiach is going to tell us why all these things had to happen. So Shema Yisrael, Hashem just concentrate on all the good that you have. Elokeinu, it's true, there are rough things that go on. But just remember, Hashem Echot, eventually we're going to find out why these things had to happen. And that is our sense of security. That we're not just living 
in a world that's not orchestrated. Every little thing is orchestrated. So now, we come to an Asana Toikif, right? And we say these words, which are probably the most frightening words in the whole davening. Mi yichia, o mi yomos. Who's going to live and who's going to die? You know, it occurred to me when I was writing this book, I was reading an Asana Toikif like I never read it before. We say, me ba magefa. Whoever thought magefa in our generation? Magefa was a black plague in 1831. Who thought of magefa in 2021, in 2020? Me ma magefa. Me yishokate, me yitoreif. Who's going to be with serenity? Who's going to be distraught? So how do we say these words? And how do we look forward to survival? So I want to show you a Gemara. Fascinating Gemara. And this Gemara is in Megillah Chav Zayin Ahmed Beis and Chav Ches Ahmed Aleph. And the Gemara tells us something fascinating. That there were 28 different Talmudim, 28 different students. Each one had a different rabbi. Each one had a different rebbe. And they all asked their individual rebbe's the same question. And all of us want to know the answer to this question. Every one of us wants to know. Bama harachta Yomim. How did you live long? And the Gemara goes through two pages of all those 28 answers. And every one of them is a different answer. And I remember when I was learning the Gemara for the first time, I was thinking like, how in the world do you choose? Everybody wants to live long. There's 28 different answers. How in the world could you figure out what you're supposed to do? And I was speaking about this to different Talmud HaChachamim. And there was one Rav who taught and tells Yeshiva. One of the Rosh Yeshivas, his name was Rabbi Cheskel Monk, you should be well. And he told me, you know something? I want to show you something interesting. He said, take a look at every one of the 28 answers. They're all different. But every one of them started their answer with the same word. Miyomai. All my days. In other words, as I'm going to give you four of the answers, not all 28, of course. But... You will see, each one of them said, Miyomai, all my days. In other words, once they undertook to do something, they did it with consistency. Miyomai. Now, the first one, they asked Rabbi Lezab ben Shamua, how'd you live long? He said, Miyomai, all my days. I never, ever made a shortcut through a shul. If I lived on 13th Avenue and I had to go to 14th Avenue, I didn't walk through the shul that was right in the middle to take a shortcut. Even if the weather was bad. Or even if it was hot. I never used the shul as a shortcut. And the truth is, if you want to go from part of the building to the other, you're not allowed to walk through a shul and use it as a shortcut. You have to sit down and say a posik. can't just walk through a shul. That's what he said. I never did it. Here's another one. The second one, Rob Prater, said, all my days, nobody ever came to shul before I did. I was the first one in shul every single morning. Every morning, miyomai, all my days. Another one said, miyomai, all my days. Loikinisi, shame, l'chaveri. I never called my friend by a negative nickname. Now, if your name is Sarah and somebody calls you Sari, that's not negative. If your name is Yitzchak and somebody calls you Yitzi, there's nothing wrong with that. But we all know that people can be tagged with a nickname. Rabbi Lynn can tell you in school, kids can call a kid a nickname and the kid is stuck with it forever. And it's humiliating. And it's painful. And sometimes we mean it as a joke. You know, we think they're going to forget it, but the other people remember it. 
And then the fourth one said, I never get angry in my home. Never. And you know something? Rabbi Yudah Chassid says something so amazing about these answers. All 28. He says, look at all these 28. Everyone is different. But everyone was able to live long. You know why? Because they said miyomai all the time. And not one of those 28 things say in the Torah. How do you like that? In the Torah, it doesn't say you can't use a shul as a shortcut. In the Torah, it doesn't say you've got to be the first one in shul in the morning. In the Torah, it doesn't say you can't call somebody a negative nickname or don't get angry in your house. So the Nitziv writes in Parsha of Tzitzis, he says, you want to have good in your life? Undertake a mitzvah and stick with it and never violate it. That's what miyomai is. And you know, today, there's a new profession called being a life coach. So I recently saw something from a great life coach. And he said like this, don't aim to be consistently great. Aim to be great at being consistent. And that's fabulous. You could ask Reggie Jackson, you try to hit a grand slam every time, you're going to strike out half the time. He can tell you. Right? Don't aim to be consistently great. Aim to be great at being consistent. That's what Miyomai is all about. So tonight, every one of us here tonight, every man, woman, and child, between now and Yom Kippur, you have to figure out, and I'm going to give you four suggestions, of what you can make up from now on, you're going to do Miyomai. I'm going to undertake to do something, and I'm going to stick with it. And that's how we have Confidence for the new year. But Maharachta Yomim, Miyomai. We're going to undertake something. And I'm going to give you four examples. Not one of them says in the Torah. But every one of them is just like these 28. A Mida Toiva, a connection to God, and a connection to Timidios. Timidios means consistency. That's what Hashem wants. Not that you do a mitzvah whenever you feel like it. You make a commitment to Hashem, you're doing it all the time. Here's my first suggestion. You know, I believe that we have to thank Hashem for our bodies. When do we ever thank Hashem for our bodies? We have a colon, a spleen, a heart, a kidney, a digestive system, a circulatory system. Do we ever stop to thank Hashem? When do we ever thank Hashem for what's going on in the body? I want to say something brilliant. Rabbi Dr. Akiva Tatz is a brilliant person. You know what he once said? He said, how do you say the word skin in Hebrew, right? Somebody tell me. How do you say skin? Or, right? Now, the word or, ayin vavresh, you could make another word with those letters. What other word could you make? Iver, which means blind. Now, in English, there's no rhyme or reason why a word is a word. A giraffe could be a zebra, and a zebra could be a tiger, and a tiger could be a panther. But in Hebrew, every word that's Lushan Kodesh, the holy language, has a double and a triple meaning. So Rabbi Tad said, you know why the word or can also mean ever, skin can mean blind? Because your skin blinds you to what's going on in the body. You cannot see your colon and your intestines and your heart and your lungs. So we're blinded. To what's going on. And when he said that, you know what occurred to me? It just happens to be in English. The same thing. How do you say the word skin? You know what's another word for skin? Hide. Right? Isn't that amazing? 
The skin hides exactly what's going on in the body. So I would suggest, and I would never ask anybody to do anything that I don't do myself. From tonight on, every single time that you go to the bathroom and you say, Ashiyotah, stand in one place. Don't be texting. Don't be diapering the baby. Don't be getting into the car. Don't be getting dressed. Stand in one place. And just think of those words. We all know Ashiyotah by heart. And all of a sudden, then we think about the whole orchestra that's going on in the body. How long does it take? Nine seconds? And I've been speaking about this for the last couple of years. So a couple of years ago, in Brooklyn, there was an organization called Neshe Cares. There were a thousand women there. And that's the first time that I brought this up about standing in one place when you say Ashiyotza. Two weeks later, two different ladies called me. One call I was happy to get, the other one I could have done without. But here's the first one. The first one says to me, Rabbi Krohn, you're really right. I said, what do you mean? She said, you said that we should stand by Ashiyotza. Don't we say, that's part of the bracha. I said, wow, that's a good briskadiyuk, right? You should stand. And the other woman said, Rabbi Krohn, I just want you to know now, every time when I go to the bathroom, I think of you. <laughs> I could have done without that. <laughs> but I knew she meant it sincerely, right? Now, again, it doesn't say in the Torah you have to stand by saying Ashiyotza. But that's like one of those 28 things. You undertake to do it and you never switch from that. Here's the second thing. Saying brachas out loud so that other people should say amen. I want to tell you a great story. Many years ago, there was a young woman in her early 40s. She had a number of children. Her husband was very sick. He was dying. And the doctor who had to make that operation to save his life was afraid. He was afraid the guy would die on the table from the anesthetic or the surgery. And he said to the young woman, look, I'm ready to do the surgery, but I cannot do it on my own volition. I've got to have a greater authority that's gonna tell me that I could do it. I'm just afraid. So he meant that she should get another doctor from a different hospital or somebody that's a greater professor than he is. When she heard the word greater authority, she was thinking, who's the greatest authority? At that time, Rabbi Moshe Feinstein was alive. And Rabbi Moshe Feinstein, her husband, had learned in his kola 20 years earlier when they first got married. So the doctor said, go to the highest authority. So she makes an appointment with Rabbi Moshe. Two days later, the doctor calls her up and says, did you speak to a higher authority? He says, she said, yeah, I have an appointment tomorrow morning. He says, oh, who's the doctor? She said, well, it's not exactly a doctor, it's a rabbi. He says, you're joking, right? He said, you said authority. Rabbi Feinstein is the greatest authority. He said, are you serious? A rabbi is gonna tell me that I should do the surgery? I don't believe this. He says, do you mind if I come? I gotta see this. She said, yeah, you could come. I'm going to FDR Drive where Amisha lives and you could come, Rabbi Feinstein, I'm sure he'll be happy to talk to you. I'm going there with my father. And the next morning, 10 o'clock, they're all there. Rabbi Moshe Feinstein sees the doctor, the young woman, and the father. He invites them in, and he gives tremendous derecheres to the doctor. And he finds out about the surgery, the difficulty, the danger, and the illness, everything. And then he turns to the young woman and he says, You told me that your husband learned in my kolel 20 years ago. I don't remember him. Do you have a picture of him by any chance? 
She says, yeah, we just got married at that time. I've got my wedding picture. I'll be happy to show it to the Rosh Hashiva. He says, let me see it. Rav Feinstein looks at the picture and suddenly he remembers who this young man is. And he starts crying. He's crying because this is a Talmud of his who's dying, who's got four kids. And when the doctor sees that Rav Moshe is crying, he turns to the woman and he says, now I understand why he can make a decision. Any rabbi that could cry for a student that he had 20 years ago, God's going to give him the wisdom and he'll be able to make the right decision. And you know something? You know what Ramesha said? He told the doctor to do the surgery. And then he turned to the woman and he said, I want you to do the surgery. I want the doctor to do it, but on one condition. I want you to tell your husband from now on he has to say brachas out loud. You know why? Listen to this. You would think a Hasidic Rebbe is talking. He said, because when you say a brach out loud, somebody else can say amen. How much does the word amen equal? Aleph, mem, nun. Can anybody figure that out? Aleph, mem, nun. 40, 50, and 1, right? You know math and teenek, right? <laughs> okay. It's 91. And you know what Moshe said? The word malach, angel, also equals 91. And every time you say amen, holy angels will be created and they're going to protect him. And you know something? The fellow undertook to say brachas out loud and to say amen on other people's brachas. They had the surgery and he lived many years afterwards. Now, I want to tell you something. I've been thirsty for an hour. <laughs> but I waited for this moment. <laughs> so I'm going to make a bracha. And we're going to create holy angels in the young Israel of Tinek. Amen. I almost said agofen. I'm so used to making a bracha. Agofen out of wrist. <laughs> so the, again, it doesn't say in the Torah that you got to say brachas out loud. But that's one of the things, Miyomai. Let's start. Let's start. It's not a bad idea. We all want to be protected. We've got to be protected. We've gone through a difficult year. So not only standing by Yashiyotza, but saying brachas out loud. Here's a third suggestion. And that is benching in a sitter. You know, if you try to bench by heart, you'd be surprised when you test yourself, you'll see how many words you're missing, especially on Shabbos. Ritzay, and if you're a Sephardi and you're saying Ritzay, you're going to break your teeth. That Ritzay is so long, it's unbelievable. But think about it. And I'll tell you the truth. A couple of weeks ago, I led a tour to Croatia. I was never in that place in my life. It's gorgeous. So we had 30 people on the tour. And right before the Shabbos Suda, I spoke about benching and a sitter. A guy after the meal comes over to me and he says, Rabbi Krohn, when did they change the benching? <laughs> Of course, the guy's been benching for years by heart. And he wasn't saying half these words. Where they come in? What hospital put them in? I couldn't believe it. It's a great comment. So even if you're saying Alam Michya, say it in a sitter. And you know something? The Sefer HaChinuch writes that if you want to have, if you want to have Parnosa with dignity, with Kovayi, be careful when you bench. How are you careful? Benching out loud. Benching, not only out loud, but benching in a sitter. So we spoke about standing by a shiyotzer. We spoke about saying brachos out loud and benching in a sitter. Here's one more suggestion. The Pasik tells us, David HaMelech writes, Ani betzedek erzeponecha. With charity, with righteousness, I come to see your face. Many, many people, when they come into shul, there's a pushka waiting and they drop in a penny. 
a nickel, or a dollar, whatever it is, makes no difference. But you start before davening, not in real Shemineser where the guy's walking around and disturbing everybody. But really, it should be right when you walk in. And I'll tell you something. I had a brother, my Tante Yitin remembers him calm when he passed away in two years ago. He was a great tzaddik. And after the Manchester Rosh Hashiva Rav Segel passed away, my brother called the family and said, would he be able to come and live by the Rosh Hashiva during the month of Elul? Because he has so many questions to ask him. And like I say, Rav Segel was a great tzaddik, and my brother was a tzaddik. He just wanted to learn from him. And they said, yeah. So my brother would come in and he would ask so many questions. He told me that once he was walking in the street with Rav Segel, and Rav Segel said to him, Colin, you're not letting me live. <laughs> so... My brother was not intimidated by anyone. And he said, Rosh Hashiva, didn't you ask your Rosh Hashiva all these questions? He says, you're right. You could ask whatever you want. So that night, the Rosh Hashiva is getting into bed. And he looks around. Guess who's in the bedroom? My brother, Kalman. He says, Kalman, what are you doing in my bedroom? He said, wow, I wanted to see how the Rosh Hashiva is going to sleep. And he saw, and listen to this. He saw the most amazing thing. Now, I never asked him if he adopted this custom. But listen to what the Manchester Rosh Hashiva did. He had a pushka by his bedside on his night table. And every night, Moshe, just remember, every night, he gave Stoker right before he went to sleep. So my brother said, Rosh Hashiva, where does that come from? Where does it say you gotta give Stoker before you go to sleep? Listen to what he said. He said, the Gemara tells us that sleep is 1 60th of death. If you think you're out of it when you sleep, boy, after 120, then you're 60 times more out of it. And he said, in the morning, don't I want to say, you give me back, you know, you give me back my neshama? So sleep is the 60th of death. So I want to have my neshama back. That's what the Pasuk says. Stoka saves from death. So every night I give a penny of stoka, you know, before I go to sleep. Now, again, I'm not telling you to do that. I'm not telling you to do any of these four things. But these are the type of things. We don't have to turn over the world to become big tzaddikim. Hashem wants to see consistency. That's what he wants to see more than anything else. Now, you know what the Chavetz Chaim writes? Another thing about consistency. Every one of us can do this. He writes in Sefer Avas Chesed, Uma'oid. It's so important. Now, one day should go by from now on that you don't do a chesed for somebody else. A kindness for somebody. I'm not talking husbands for wives, wives for husbands. That you got to do if you know it's good for you. <laughs> Just because you make your husband coffee or your husband buys a wife flowers, you don't become a Baal Chesed from that. That's, that's how you live on a daily basis. But every day, you should do a Chesed for somebody else. And what I would suggest is that every one of us should have a little notebook. That you write down one Chesed that you did for somebody else. There's so many people in nursing homes that could use your call, or your text, or your email. How many single mothers are there out there that can't get out to do shopping because they're taking care of the other kids at home? If you're out there shopping, call a single mother. And you know something? A single father also. People always talk about the single mothers, but these guys, they want to get invited for Shabbos. You know, there was a woman in there, she's Sherelle, it's unbelievable. We knew her for so many years there. She moved to Israel. She told my wife just the other day, it was heartbreaking. A divorced woman, she's elderly now. She ate all four Rosh Hashanah meals alone. That's the cry. That's horrendous. How come a Shiach come to a generation like this? 
if we allow that to happen. We have to stop thinking about ourselves. We've got to open up our hearts and our homes to those who have less than us. We have so much good in this world that we don't concentrate on. Because you look in the media and you look at everything on the radio, on TV or whatever. On the internet, it's all bad news. Good news doesn't sell. But we have a lot of good and we have to share it. That's what it is. So listen to this. This past year, one of the greatest people that passed away never was Rabbi David Feinstein, Rabbi Moshe's son. And we all know that any Shaila, that any Rav in the world had, any place they could call Rabbi David, he would never say, it's not in my purview. He always had the answer. So when he passed away 30 days later, they asked me in Sheva High School, where my wife is the Hebrew principal in Queens, that I should come and speak about Rabbi David Feinstein. So, okay, I said, okay, I'll be happy to come, but I have to do some research. You know, I knew him, I was a mile many times, and he was the Sandra, but I can't say that I knew him well. He's a very soft-spoken, understated person. And then I found out wonderful, wonderful things that he did. So I want to share two things with you. The second is, out of this world, you will not believe, and you've got to try it out on your family when you get home tonight, or tomorrow at work. It is the most unbelievable thing. But let's talk about the first one. The first story happened on Rosh Hashanah a couple years ago. It was the middle of Kriya Satorah, it was the middle of laning. And a guy sees that his wife walks in with their baby to the shul because she wants to hit Kiya Shefer. And she motions to him that she needs him. He comes over, she says, listen, I gotta take care of the baby. Is there any private place that I could go into? So he says, look, the only private place I know is uh, the Rosh Hashiva's office. Let me go ask him for the key to his office. So he goes over to Rav David Feinstein during Lenny. He says, my wife is here with the baby. She needs a private place. Can she go into your office? He says, yeah, of course. He gives him the key, and then she goes into the office. Fine. Lenny is over. Now they're going to do Kia Shefa. They say, Lam Natsayah seven times. Rav David is at the Bima. He's not the one who blows Shefa. He's the Makri. He calls out. And the guy, everybody is waiting now that the Baltikia should start saying the Psukim, and then they're going to blow Shefa. And Rav David tells him to wait. Well, who, what are we waiting for? Just wait. And he's looking around the whole place. There's 200 people. Nobody knows what is the Rosh Hashiva waiting Finally, he sees that guy in the back. He calls him up. And everybody's looking like, why does he want this guy before Tkia Shaifa? The guy comes up to the Bima, and Rab David whispers to him, is your wife finished in the office? And he says, yeah. He says, okay, now we can blow Shaifa. Imagine that, the Godladar, He's got 200 people in the base of Medrash. He's got the whole world on his shoulders. All he's worried about is that woman, if she doesn't hit Kia Schaefer now, where's she going to find the Schaefer on the Lower East Side and later in the afternoon? That's what's on his head. Now listen to this. This is the greatest. There's a guy in West Hempstead. His name is Ari Hirsch. And he's got a newspaper. It's called Jewish Views. It's not a serious paper at all. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, it gives it out free in Brooklyn. You know, we'll learn these kind of papers. Whatever. Every once in a while, this guy, Ari Hirsch, will call and contact 50 public people. And I'll ask them the same question. And after a few weeks, after he gets all the answers, he prints one edition and he has all the answers and everybody likes to see it. So he's called me numerous times. And these are the type of questions that he asks. He once asked me, what's your favorite yuntif and why? Okay. So he asked that to 49 other people. And then another time he asked me, what's the most difficult Masechta you ever learned? Fine. Three years ago, he calls me up and he says this question. 
I want you to think about this. If anybody comes up with a great answer, you'll be in my next speech. He says to me, if you can invite any three people from other Marishai till today, which three people would you invite for dinner? What a great question. So, does anybody have any answers? So I, I will tell you this, that when I ask this to women, so some women will say Sarashnir, others will say Rachel Emenu, some men will say Avram Yitzchak Yaakov. The greatest answer I ever got was also happened to be in Croatia. One of the guys on the tour said, he would invite Kamsa, Ambar Kamsa, and Aaron Akoyan to make peace. <laughs> what a great answer, right? So I'll tell you what I said. I told him David HaMelech, because after all, David HaMelech had so many problems, so any problem that you could possibly have, he would know how to solve. The second one I said was Rashi. To me, Rashi was the most compassionate, caring person, and he knew all the Rashis. He wrote them. Right? <laughs> so, you know, you got a Gemara, you got a Medrash, you got a Chumar, whatever you want. It's Rashi, he'll tell you. And the third one was Rav Chaim Eisen. Rav Chaim Eisen Grzynski, he was the Rav in Vilna, like the Zaydi of Klai Yisrael, and together with the Chavetz Chaim, they led Klai Yisrael during the 20s and 30s. A few weeks afterwards, he calls up, he says, Rabbi Kron, I hope you're going to get this week's edition. It's got all the answers. I couldn't hold myself back. I said to him, uh, Ari, who gave you the best answer? Right? I'm, I'm waiting, right? You should tell me me. He says, Rabbi David Feinstein. I said, you're joking, right? Are you out of your mind? You asked the Rosh Hashiva this question? I said, no, I didn't go into the base medrash. I, I was just in the Lower East Side. I happened to see him walking. So I figured I would ask him. Hold on to your seatbelts. He asked Rabbi David Feinstein, which three people would you invite if you could invite any people to dinner? You know what he said? Three poor people. Who thinks like that? Me and everybody else were thinking, oh, David Amel, boy, if I had David Amel in my house, I'd call, you know, Hamadia, Mishpacha, Ami, you know, me and Rashi. Whoa, what a picture, right? At least one of us had a beard, right? So, you know, that would be something, right? Great picture. But Rabdavid, he's thinking about somebody else. Tonight, ask your kids. Tomorrow, ask your coworkers. Or ask the kids in school. See how they think. That's amazing. That's what Rabdavid finds it. That's what made him great. That's a chesed chafatzti v'loi zavach. So you may wonder, why did I pick among so many topics to speak about consistency? Doing a favor every day. Miyomai, whatever you're going to undertake to do it. And I'll tell you why. This past Shivasa Thomas, I was learning a Gemara. And Tainus Chavavam in base. And the Gemara tells us five terrible things happened on Shivasa Thomas. Now, four out of five, when I tell you them, you'll see they were horrendous. One of them, Moshe Rabbeinu, broke the Luchais. If we were at Hasina and we saw Moshe Rabbeinu come down and throw down the Luchais because they were serving the ego, we'd be shattered forever. Another one, there was a Roman general who burned the Sefer Torah in the Beis HaMikdash. Horrendous. The walls of Yerushalayim were broken and breached. Now everybody in Yerushalayim didn't feel secure. Menashe, a Jewish king, took an Avedah Zor in the Beis HaMikdash. It's terrible. But the fifth thing, which happened to be mentioned second, didn't seem so bad. Botel HaTomid. They couldn't bring the carbon Tomid. So big deal. That the end of the world. They could bring the Chatas, the Oila, the Shlomim, the Toidah. So they didn't bring the Tomid. But you know something? That's what consistency is all about. 
And that's why it was horrible, because Hashem wants to see that you care on a daily basis. Not just when you feel like it, you're going to daven. And not when you feel like it, you know, you're going to wear tzitzis. Every day, if there's a mitzvah that you got to do, you do it every single day. That's commitment. And that's really what it's all about. So let's review everything that we said, and we'll end with a beautiful story. Let's remember, the snake may not have been wrapped around that cab driver, but COVID-19 was wrapped around all of us. And although we can't understand the da, ma, la, ma, mimcha, those 45 and all these tragedies are beyond us, but we each have to be able to respond. And it's true, Aryeh Shog, Elo Rosh Hashanah, Yemekapurim, Hashanah Rabbah, there's no question, those are frightening days, the lion roars, but we can answer back. Hain om kalaviyakum, we are each lions, and we're lion-hearted, and we can answer back, and we can respond. How? Chesed chafatzti, v'loi zavach. Hashem wants to see chesed, like that family, the Beckers in Lakewood, how they took care of Mrs. Monk. Let's remember, betochen doesn't mean that everything that happens is good. Tough things happen. But we can fortify ourselves. That's why we come together in these holy times. To put our arms around each other. To care for each other. And that's really what betochen is. And that's what Rabbi Schwab said. The Shema Yisrael Hashem. There's so much good. There's judgment. But Hashem Echad eventually we're going to be able to understand it. We just have to be able to hang in there. How did these people live long? They didn't do great things. They didn't walk through the base of Medrash to make a shortcut. They came early to davening. That's beautiful. I'll tell you somebody here who comes early to davening every single day. Mr. Levy. Never is he late. I know, David Schill tells me. I know. You come very early. The guy's in shul 5 o'clock in the morning learning. It's unbelievable. So we have great people amongst us. We can all do these things. And whether you stand in one place for saying Ashiyatza, or whether you say brachas out loud, or whether you bench in a sitter, or whether you give stuck up before you daven, miyomai, miyomai, let's do it consistently. Let's do a chesed. Let's do that every day. Let's keep a notebook. And Moishi, you know, start putting away stucca right before you go to sleep. I know. I can see. <laughs> I trust these crones. And finally, let's remember the chesed that Rav David Feinstein did, how he would invite three poor people. I just want to end with this fabulous story. And every time Rav Shalom Shadron, the Maggid of Yerushalayim, would tell me the story, he would cry, and I'll tell you at the end why he cried. In Yerushalayim, many, many years ago, the Rav of Yerushalayim was Rabbi Yosef Chaim Zonnefeld. And he was a beloved, respected Rav, and it happened one time, Rosh Chodesh Elo, that the Baltfila passed away, the one who had davened for many, many, many years. He passed away, unfortunately. And after the Shiva, they went to the Rav and they said, Rebbe, who's going to daven for the Yomit? You know, we had this wonderful Baltfila all the years. He said, don't worry, I'll, I'll find the right person. Okay. They waited two weeks, that's a week before Rosh Hashanah. And the Rav didn't tell anybody who he's going to appoint. So they went to him again and he said, look, I told you, I'll take care of it. Just leave it to me. Now it's the night of Rosh Hashanah. They're going up to say to the Rav, Rebbe, who's davening tomorrow? I said, I told you, I'll take care of it. So they were thinking, what, he's going to go up himself? Like they looked around the shul, there was nobody new in shul. So like, who's he appointing? The next morning, right before, it's because you can't talk out afterwards, he goes over to the son, the 30-year-old son of the man who passed away. He said, you're going to go up to daven. He says, me? 
I didn't even look it over. He says, don't worry. I know you heard your father all these years. You're going to go up there. You're going to be fine. You go up. You're going to say Ashra. You're going to say Hinani. You're going to be fine. And he done it. After the davening, some of the people went over to Rabbi Yosef Chaim. And they said, Rebbe, it says Beferish in Shulchan Aruch, as clear as could be, an Ovel, a mourner within 12 months of his father and mother's death, cannot daven in front of the Yom. How could you have appointed him? He, his father died a month ago. So you know what Rabbi Yosef Chaim said? He said, who was sitting behind the Mechitza? This man's, the man who passed away, his wife, the Almana, every year she waited for all these years. Every year she waited for her husband to get up and say Ashrei and Hinnini and how proud she was. Imagine if she would hear somebody else this year that was not her relative, how much she would cry and the pain that she would have. We would hear her tears and we would be crying as well for her pain. So that's why I appointed her son to mitigate her feelings, to mitigate her pain. And then he showed in Shulchan Aruch, it says in the same simon, over the leko chazan acher, if there's no other chazan shori, then he's allowed to. He said in this situation, it's as if there's nobody else to make sure that the almana doesn't feel that pain. And you know what Absalom cried? Because he lost his father when he was six and seven years old. And his mother was an almana for so many years. And every single time he came to America, when he stayed with us, after my father passed away, the way he treated my mother was absolutely incredible. He had such care and such dignity for almanas, for widows, and for those who had less than he had. And that's what Rabbi Yosef Chaim taught his community. And that's the lesson that we have to take with us. We are all blessed. You have a great Rav, a Talmud Chacham, a wonderful person who everybody loves. He's a role model for all of us. And we have to take advantage of that. And we have to look at the greatness of this community. Look at this shul. Look how gorgeous this shul is. It's such a pleasure to come here, to daven here, and to speak here. Look at this place. It's a Migdash Ma'at. It really is. It was a beautiful job. And the Abishah should help. Hashem should help that you should all be able to grow and fulfill your potential. And just make commitments to Hashem. It doesn't have to be big commitments but it has to be daily commitments. And if we do that, we'll all be zeicha tarichas yamim. People ask me, what does Tavshin Pei Bey stand for? And I believe it stands, it stands for Teheishnas Penine Bracha. It should be a year of jewels of blessing. Our children should be jewels of blessing. The grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, the community, everything in Klai Yisrael should be with only blessing because we are lions and we can respond. Hashem should bless all of us with a year of gesund and Parnosa, thank you for inviting me and thank you for listening. By the way, if anybody wants to buy the book, it's available.